Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. In this podcast, you'll learn actionable strategies to deal with infertility from Dr. Michael Chapman, or Prof as he's affectionately known. Prof is the co-founder of IVF Australia and is a leading Australian infertility specialist who has helped over 3,000 couples realise their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. That first cry of a baby born after the long journey of IVF remains one of the most beautiful experiences in the world. As an obstetrician and an IVF specialist, I've had the privilege of experiencing this over many thousands of times in my long career, but I still remain moved by each baby's first cry. It signifies the end of a long journey and the beginning of a new life. This is Professor Michael Chapman, co-founder of IVF Australia and host of the IVF Journey podcast. Thanks for tuning in. To access all the previous episodes, head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. So today, let's go back to basics. I had a couple with me today who, when I started to talk to them about how to get pregnant, I realized their understanding of basic physiology was lacking. And I suspect there are many people out there, and certainly surveys have shown this, that don't quite understand how the birds and the bees works. So let's go through it from beginning. Starting with the baby and working backwards, and then we will start for the menstrual cycle and work forwards. So for a baby to be there, an egg and a sperm have to get together. A sperm can get there any time of the day or night or whenever intercourse occurs, supposedly in the right place in the vagina. The sperm has to be strong enough and, and in high enough numbers to swim from the neck of the womb, the top of the vagina, up through the uterus, up through the, into the fallopian tubes, the tubes that lead out into the abdominal cavity where the egg has been released from the ovary. So those sperm have got quite a journey. Relatively to a human going for a run, it's suggested it's the equivalent of something like a 24-kilometre run, which most of us would struggle with. And all of the hundreds of thousands of sperm have to make that journey. The egg is produced from the ovary and each month in a normal cycle one egg is produced and that egg having been released finds its way into the fallopian tube in a sense searching for a sperm to be fertilized by. It appears that an egg 
has a relatively short period of time when it is available for fertilization. Its maturity is only present for something in the order of four to 10 hours. And so a sperm who can hang around in the body for somewhere between 48 and 72 hours have to be in the fallopian tube waiting for that egg to come the other way to ensure that fertilization could occur. So we need good numbers of sperm who are capable of swimming and are capable at the time of finding an egg of actually fertilizing it because they're the normal shape. They're the vital parameters of sperm. And in fact, that's what we test when we do a semen analysis. The number of sperm and their capacity to swim and the shape of the sperm. And we know what parameters are the minimum to produce a normal pregnancy rate. I talked about the egg and how it gets there from the released from the ovary once a month in a 28-day cycle. That's 14 days into the cycle. Having been ovulated into the abdominal cavity finds its way down the fallopian tube. Its quality, we can't tell. And certainly from cycle to cycle, the egg quality does differ. We know that from IVF. We also know that egg quality is very much dependent on age. It's one of the cells of the body that is most sensitive to a woman getting older. In fact, it ages quicker than virtually every other cell in the female body. That aging process results in genetic abnormalities, which then result in the competency of that egg being reduced and reduced and reduced. So how does the egg, or how does the body, enable an egg to be produced? So let's go back the other way. We'll start during the baby's life. The female baby is endowed with all the eggs that she ever has by the time 20 weeks of pregnancy has occurred. Somewhere between two and five million eggs are laid down by 20 weeks of pregnancy. Once that process of producing the eggs has occurred, egg numbers start to decline. By the time a baby is born, the baby female is already down to about half a million eggs. And every month from that point on, the egg numbers decline. So by the time a first period occurs, so a girl aged 13, 14, she's already down to some two or 300,000 eggs. Obviously, when menopause comes, average age of 51, those eggs have run out. So every month, hundreds of eggs are actually degenerating. And each month, only one is rescued to produce that ovulation. So over a woman's reproductive lifetime, something in the order of four to 500 eggs are actually used of the original five million that were laid down. Seems a terrible waste, but that's how we've evolved. So how does the body create the egg that's going to be released that might produce the pregnancy. The major control of this is in the brain. There's an area of the brain called the hypothalamus, which releases a hormone every 90 seconds that sends messages to the pituitary gland, which regulates the hormones that stimulate 
the ovary to produce an egg. Those hormones are called LH and FSH. FSH is the most important in terms of developing the egg. FSH stands for follicle stimulating hormone. Follicle stimulating hormone, it's obvious what it does. So its role is it's carried through the bloodstream in the early part of the menstrual cycle. It acts upon the ovary to promote the growth of a small group of eggs. Within the ovary, there's a selection process that we still don't totally understand, which says we'll take this egg and keep it going, calling it the dominant follicle, and we'll suppress the other eggs that's happening inside the ovary. The hormones from the pituitary gland keep acting and, and drive that dominant follicle, which has an egg in it, to get bigger and bigger. And in fact, that follicle, that sac of fluid, reaches up to about 2 to 2.5 centimetres in diameter before the egg is released. That process of ovulation is a little bit like a balloon bursting, a balloon full of water bursting. Out pours the water and carrying with it the egg into the abdominal cavity where it will be picked up by the fallopian tube. So in some cases, and probably in the order of two or three percent of women, instead of one follicle there might be two and that's why we end up with twins in about one in 80 pregnancies. So each month the egg is produced and finds its way to the fallopian tube in most cases and then a fertilization can occur. As I mentioned earlier, in a woman having a 28-day cycle, which is the average, probably something like 80 to 85% of women have a 28-day cycle like clockwork. Some vary by one or two days and a small percentage it wanders quite substantially. Usually that last group has some hormone imbalances like polycystic ovaries. But in the average woman, 95% will have a ovulation around day 14 plus or minus two days. Going way back to where I started, where sperm around in a genital tract for up to 72 hours and an egg is around for four to 10 hours, you can see that the overlap needs to occur somewhere between days 12 of the cycle and days 16 of the cycle. So that's why we advise patients to have intercourse between days 12 and 16 when the cycle is around about the 28 to 30 day mark. That optimizes the timing. Each month, if a pregnancy doesn't occur, a period comes some 14 days after ovulation. And that time is a very set time. Women who have a 35-day cycle, and there can be women who have 35 days between their periods, will still have 14 days from ovulation, which means that they actually ovulate on day 21, not day 14, as it occurs in a 28-day cycle. So they should be focusing later in the cycle in terms of when to have intercourse. So your length of cycle is important to know, and if it's not the base, the, the standard 28 to 30 days, then one has to modify when intercourse should occur. Each month, uh, when a period occurs, what is happening is that the hormone levels that have been elevated during the cycle due to the ovulation 
fall and the, those falling hormone levels basically stop the support of the lining of the womb and it's the lining of the womb coming away each month that has the period. My patient today thought that that was the egg coming away but it's not, it is actually the lining of the womb. If an egg isn't fertilized it just breaks down like many of our cells in our body. I mean, we, in our body we are turning over cells the rate of hundreds of thousands a day and the egg is just one of those cells. They don't stack up anywhere. They, once that four to ten hours has occurred, if fertilization hasn't occurred, if a sperm hasn't got into the egg, the egg just generates and gets absorbed by the body. So in a normally fertile couple, that process of producing an egg, stimulating its growth, ovulation, and having intercourse at the right time results in conception, the production of an embryo in probably, we predict, around 50 to 70% of cycles. What we, however, are constrained by in the human is actually a very high rate of abnormal eggs, which increases with age. And even though those abnormal eggs can fertilize, they won't necessarily implant, they won't attach to the lining of the womb. Although a conception has occurred, a period will follow. There's another group of eggs that will fertilize, and again, usually they're abnormal genetically, who will implant, but will come away with the first period. We'll never know whether pregnancy had occurred or not. And then there's another group where we get fertilization and we get attachment and implantation who do get to the period and the period is delayed, but only by two or three days. In those patients, sometimes you can get a positive test, but it'll be a low positive and a period will follow. So it's a very, very early miscarriage. And then of course we get normal miscarriages occurring at six, seven, eight weeks of pregnancy. So of those original conceptions I talked about of 50 to 70%, only 15% end up getting through to producing a baby. So in the human, with everything going normally, with fallopian tubes open, with ovulation occurring and with sperm of high quality being put in the right place at the right time, the best we can do is around one in six chance of a baby each month. So pregnancy doesn't happen immediately in most situations. Five out of six times on the first month, nothing will happen. By 12 months, cycle after cycle of that percentage, pregnancies do occur. I think the easiest way to think of it is about a dice. To throw a six is a one in six chance. And that's what we're doing when we're trying to get pregnant. We throw the dice, 15% are lucky, they'll get their six on the first throw. Throw the dice again, and another one in six will get a pregnancy. And so it goes on. But there will still be something in the order of 10% of dice throwers after 12 throws of the dice, month on month on month for 12 months. There'll be 10% who haven't conceived, who have absolutely nothing wrong with them. They've just, by chance, not got pregnant. So 
don't believe that because you're not pregnant in the first couple of months that you're infertile. Most patients will still conceive. Obviously understanding the basics of how to conceive and how it all happens is useful. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.